1: this is wheel bearings i'm dan roth from forbes i'm rebecca lillan from rebecca drives
2: oh we're a little tighter this week that's good (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sam abu all from Guidehouse insights (laughs) all right
1: well welcome to the show everybody uh let's get to what we're driving to uh it's hot in here so i want to i (laughs) want to (laughs) go uh so let's let's
2: talk cars what's in our garage sam you go first all right i had the 2020 Chevrolet, Corvette, Stingray, Coupe, um, which is, uh, you know, the, that uh, unicorn of automobiles that uh, everybody's been dreaming about for probably close to 60 years now. And it's finally real, the mid-engine Corvette. Don Sherman, you know, has been writing about this thing since the early 1970s. And it seemed like every few years, GM was finally going to pull the plug and actually build a mid-engine Corvette. They kept bringing out concept after concept, but they never did it until now and it's good it's really good as cars of this type go it's an amazing bargain yeah i think all of us were kind of shocked last summer when they revealed this thing and said yeah it's going to start at sixty thousand dollars and the next closest thing you can get to a car like this you know is something like the acura nsx or the audi r8 both of which you know the nsx starts at about 160 now I think the r 8s about 140 or 150 these days. So this is less than half the price of those cars and easily offers comparable performance to those vehicles or to you know almost anything else shy of, you know of like the you know the really high end hypercars. <clears throat> the one I had was a base model uh, with all season Michelin Pilot Sports so not even summer tires. Uh, and I took it out, you know, had it in sport mode. I didn't put, you know, not even in track mode. I didn't use launch control or anything. I just put it in sport mode so I could get the, the timer up. And I was on a, a rural road, nobody, nobody behind me, on a slight uphill slope. And I just stepped on the gas and it went from zero to 60 in 3.3 seconds. <laughs> you know,
3: wow.
2: and this is, you know, straight out of the box. Well, and I you know, kind of love just the modified. fact that they
3: gave you a base model. That's awesome. I think they should, yeah, yeah I, mean,
1: I think it's great that they're giving. Out, I know Stephen Ewing had a base model too, and a I think it it, it looks and feels well. You will have to tell us about the feel, but it looks great in base model form. How does it feel?
2: It it feels great. <clears throat> you know, I know um, Tim Stevens from CNET uh, from Roadshow had a Z fifty one last week. Uh, Jill Simonello had a Z fifty one in uh, Chicago as well. Um, but you know this this base one. You know there's. Not a whole lot of reasons to to upgrade. Um, the The only options on the car I had were the performance exhaust, which is like twelve hundred dollars, and the four hundred dollar uh, race uh, torch red seatbelts. So the seatbelts seatbelt color matched the the body color. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, no other options on there. But it
3: there. says so and much really- about their confidence in the vehicle that they're willing to put that. That trim into the press fleet.
2: That car is bad. yeah. I mean, it's we fantastic. almost never get base models of any, right. even you know, even entry level cars. Yeah, you know, it's always you know the mid level to premium models.
3: Well, and somehow and, I swung an invite to the launch out in Vegas, and they had uh, they had base models there for us to drive as well. You know, I mean, they, the yeah. the one that I drove was eighty five thousand, so clearly not the base. But just the fact that they had people in them, just says it says a lot. It really is. It has to be respected. Yeah, and
2: you know, to be fair to to Chevrolet, right now there's only one powertrain option. Uh, So you know, regardless of whether you get the base model or or the the top trim level, you're still getting the same 495 horsepower, 6.2 liter small block, uh, latest generation of the small block, and that uh, eight speed uh, dual clutch transmission. So that's that's in all of them right now. Next year, there's a Z06 coming, which reportedly will have uh, a flat plane crank V8, uh, similar to the one that's in the C8Rs that are running in the IMSA sports car championship this year. But aside from that, there's there's, you know, the only other real performance changes to, you know, that are available right now are, you know, in the Z51 package, you can get the uh, the Magna Ride dampers, and you can get upgraded. You, know, you can get summer tires, and I think uh, there's a, a 20-inch wheel option. Uh, you know, but then you know, there's a bunch of other options you can get as well, but they don't really impact the performance of the car. You know, so basically, you know, even at the base level, you're getting the same level of performance, which is pretty remarkable. And unlike the, the first Corvette I ever drove was actually um, just about 30 years ago. Uh, when I was still, uh, when I just started working as an engineer, uh, I was working for GM at the, at the Milford Proving Grounds. And, you know, I had a chance, I was, I was, went along, uh, accompanied a car from our team, a Lotus Esprit Turbo, um, from the group that I worked in for a benchmark drive that the Corvette team was doing. Oh, I when bet they the were
1: Corvette sp- murdered it.
2: <laughs> uh, not necessarily <laughs> um, you know they they had the uh the c uh, two c4s a, a base z51 c4 and the lt5 uh, zr1 uh, which had the the lotus twin cam v8 in it and they also had a, an acura nsx which was the only time i ever drove the first gen nsx but you know those cars those c4 corvettes were such crude beasts in those days they had a big clamshell hood you know so the whole front half of the car basically flipped up and when you're driving down the road you could see the whole thing shaking it was just it was ridiculous
1: yeah i mean that's part of the gm charm
2: (laughs) yeah well this this car you know just feels feels so sophisticated i mean it's solid as a rock uh you know even with the top off the, the the roof panel off solid as a rock you know no vibration no flexing that you feel at all even without the Magna Ride dampers, the ride quality was actually surprisingly good. I mean, it's not—it's not, you know, Genesis G ninety, you know, smooth, you know, soaking up all I the I would bumps, hope not. But it—it—it was, it, it was, it wasn't <laughs> punishing either. You know, I mean, it was—it was quite a comfortable ride. It could, this could easily be a daily driver. Because uh, that was one of the questions that somebody posed on Twitter: Could this be a daily driver? And I, I think absolutely it could be. And it's also got a surprising amount of cargo space between the front trunk and then the rear. Just for for giggles, I opened up the rear and uh, just to see if I could fit my uh, inflatable paddleboard in the back, and I actually could. I, I, fl- my, I put my uh, stand-up inflatable paddleboard in the in the rear trunk and closed the lid, and it, it fit perfectly. But how much does it tow? <laughs>
3: <laughs> How does it
2: tell do? <laughs> nothing you cannot hook up a trailer but and, it so, does haul ass <laughs> it does <laughs>
3: haul ass.
2: Yeah, it's just, know, and i'm sorry Go
3: ahead. The,
2: the you know the seats in this thing are great i'm still shall we say unconvinced about the whole wall of buttons i'm gonna ask i think, you. i th- I, th- I think that that's a i think that was a stupid design design decision i think that if anything they should have cut that down and just put Uh, a panel of buttons next to the the touch screen, the center touch screen, because the problem the problem with the, the way it's set up, that row of buttons, that you know, the longitudinal row of buttons on there, is they're not really readily distinguishable without looking at them. And actually, if you're, if you're driving with the roof panel off and the sun is shining down, you also can't see the lights on them to, to see if they're on or off. And the markings on them are backlit. So the black buttons with backlit buttons, that markings on there. So you know, it's, it's actually hard to see what it is you're hitting. You know when you're when you're trying to you know adjust um, you know the climate control or anything. So it's I think it's just not functionally not a not a great design. But that's a relatively minor quibble comp- considering how good everything else is about this car.
3: So when I drove drove it, I compared that uh, that wall of buttons. It reminded me of like the puritanical beds where they like put like a long pillow or something in between a couple so that mm-hmm. they can't touch each other if they're not married yet. Like, wasn't that, we learned it. We learned the term wow. in like studying colonial times and I just can't remember what it's called, but it's like a bolster, like in the middle. I'm yeah. like, there's no hanky panky going on in that Corvette Stingray. Well, that you know, thing. I, yeah. I think
1: it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a new Corvette if it didn't have a questionable choice of (laughs) you know interior you know something
3: fair enough I mean I will say that you know after a while so Henry Payne was my driving partner and you know after a while it it does it it does limit it I mean it kind of fades away a little bit but I still felt like I was in the sidecar right as opposed yeah no I
2: can I can definitely believe that
3: you know you're sort of this like Oh, okay. You know, there's a passenger there. We have to make room for them, but
2: yeah, that's no, uh, uh, that would definitely be yeah. true. and I and I yeah. also and, thought
3: it was very ironic that you know it's it's very similar to what Porsche has, like in the Cayenne and the Macan, with all those buttons, and yet the Taycan is like no buttons, <laughs> like they've gone completely away from it. So it was just kind uh-huh. of funny to me that all of a sudden the Corvette comes out with this all these buttons, just as Porsche is moving away from them.
1: But at least they're yeah. not like. At least it's not like a touchscreen. <laughs> at least they're buttons.
2: Yeah, that's true. They,
3: they, are,
1: they
2: are. They are physical buttons, uh, even if they are almost impossible yeah. to distinguish from each <laughs> other by feel. Um, it, you know, if, if I was if I was buying one of these, I would. Pr- I think I'd probably step up to the two LT model. Um, Mainly because uh, you know in the one LT the base model, you you, know, you don't get any driver assist features at all, which you know for the most part is fine. I, I I can do without adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist and things like that in here, but given the width of this car, you know and how low you sit in it, you know in those big rear fenders, uh, I think it would be good. And I, I think the GM really should have made things like blind spot uh, monitoring standard equipment on the base model. I don't think that that should be in the up-level trim. I think it should be standard in the base model. And also the uh, the rear camera mirror system, uh, I think also would have been helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, just for, for, Better visibility straight out the back. It it's actually given the size of the back window, you know, over the the engine, you can actually see a surprising amount. Although you don't see anything over your shoulders, you know, if you glance over your shoulders, you know, the rear three quarters because you've got huge pillars there. But straight back, you you can actually see a surprising amount. But I think I I would rather have the that uh, camera mirror and uh, blind spot monitors as as standard equipment in the base model, given. You know the visibility challenges of a a car of this configuration.
3: It's so funny, Um, Sam, because I made that exact point that it's a fifteen hundred dollar rear comp rear camera view option that really should be standard equipment because it it, there isn't a lot of visibility on that thing at all.
2: No, no, it's not. But then again, I mean, you can see you can see ahead of you, great. Which, given you know how fast it goes, is probably all (laughs) you're ever going to (laughs) see. The uh, the roof panel, you know, as Corvettes have been for decades now, you know, it's a it's a target top, uh, so the roof panel is removable, and the roof panel is really lightweight, very easy to you know for one person to handle by themselves. You don't need help, you know, very lightweight roof, and then uh, you can put it in, stash it in the rear trunk, and there's um, little pockets there where you, you slide it into the. Uh, the, the bottom into the pockets at the at the base of the trunk and then just snap it in at the top so it doesn't rattle around at all. Of course, when you do that, you lose most of that rear trunk space, but you still have the front trunk where, you know, if you're going to the grocery store, you can throw a couple bags of groceries in there, um, you know, or on a weekend road trip, you know, you can fit a, you know, a duffel bag with a few days worth of clothes in there. So, um, you know, it still remains a, a surprisingly practical car for what it is.
1: Yeah, I, I just agree. love how I love how proud they are of the the Corvette, and I think they should be. I think they deserve to to show it off, and the putting the base model out there uh, just shows how fundamentally good they're all they all are. Uh, you know, they had a lot of a lot of stuff to a lot of details to really figure out with making the mid engine Corvette and making it for the price, and certainly the performance that it delivers. Uh, makes it all worth it. You know, that's, it's just a, you know, we waited for 50 years for it. It's finally (laughs) here. Uh, and I, I'm assuming it lives up to the wait, you know, uh, I, I will have to sort of reserve my judgment for driving it, but, uh, I don't know. You guys seem a little bit more lucky out there than I, I am out here. So.
3: I think for the, yeah, yeah, I I think for the most part, people uh, are really happy with it.
2: Yeah, I, I, I certainly wouldn't complain, you know, to, to get a car with this kind of performance. You know, and, I mean, the design has really grown on me. I, I actually like this design better than the C7. Um, the C6 is still probably my favorite yeah. uh, modern Corvette, but the, the C7, you know, I was less enamored with it. The, the, I always thought the design was a little busy, especially the back end, but this one really works for me. Oh, Sam, And I got, I got a lot of comments from people, you know, when I went to the store or, or just people walking by seeing it in my driveway. I
3: bet. So Sam, uh, how are sales of it? I don't know if you know off the top of your head.
2: Uh, I don't, um, you know, it's kind of hard to judge because they don't really know, report them basically. Well, they do, but it, quarterly, you know, it went right? on sale. Yeah. They, they report quarterly and it, you know, it went on sale you know, in volume in January. They had a, a few mm. sales in December um, you know, and then you know, January is obviously not the best time for Corvette sales. You know, it's more spring summer car. Right. Uh, and then you know, then the pandemic hit. So I think it's hard. It's hard to judge right now what how you know what the sales are going to be. They did cut off orders on the 2020s back in June because they were basically at that point they were you know they had enough to fulfill all of what they were gonna do for the 2020 model year. And then they started taking orders for 21 models. Oh wow.
1: Okay. This is gonna be an interesting year. You know, it's it's the first year of the car and there's usually significant changes between, you know, the first first year of a new Corvette model and you know the subsequent few years. And then it's just gonna be a rare car anyway, given whatever else has gone on this year. It's been rather eventful. Uh, so I, I think that the, the 2020 C eight is going to be a rare car, whether that means it's more valuable. I don't, I don't think is anything we really know, but, uh, I think it's going to be one of those cars that you don't see as many of just cause
2: there weren't that many made. Yeah, well, they. Uh, so I just pulled up uh, GM's uh, second quarter sales report. They sold uh, six thousand two hundred and seventy nine in the U.S. in the first six months of this year, okay. which is down thirty five percent from last year when they were still selling C sevens. Right. It was ninety seven hundred last year. But you know, given the situation, you know, that's that's about what what we would expect. How many Cadillac you know, sedans did
3: they sell? <laughs>
2: yeah. um, three or four. Less, less than that. Um, <laughs> They sold uh, <laughs> twenty uh, uh, 2- five hundred CT sixes and fifty five hundred CT fives in the first half.
0: Yeah, so, uh,
2: so CT
1: five is doing better than I thought. I mean, yeah,
2: yeah, it's doing better than the CTS was last year. CTS did forty eight hundred uh, in the first half last year, and this is fifty five hundred. So that is niche it's, model it's volume. It's off, it's off. You know, it's off to a reasonable start.
1: Good. That's awesome.
2: And I'm driving – I actually have the CT5 in the uh, driveway this week, which we'll talk about next time. All right. But, uh, yeah, you know, just the you – know, the, other, the other thing about Corvettes is, you know, driven sanely, they're actually surprisingly fuel-efficient. Hmm. Um, you know, and th- this was true of the C6 and the C7 as well. Um, you know, this one, you know, it's rated at, uh, uh, let's see, 15 – uh, 15 city, 27 highway, 19 combined. I actually got uh, about 22 combined, and I was getting about 29 on the highway.
3: That 15, so, I mean, that's a big gap—15 to 27. You know, city yeah, to
2: highway. Yeah, it is. Probably something about the way they've got got it all calibrated. You know, more for performance than fuel economy. The sticker price um, was 61,585, including delivery. So that's the the base the base price. Plus the twelve hundred dollar performance exhaust and four hundred dollar torch red seat belts. Uh, that's a ridiculous deal.
3: That's amazing.
1: <laughs>
2: I know. For them. It's and there's there's nothing even remotely close to that for that price point.
1: I I hope that they send it to me at some <laughs> point.
2: No, they're they're waiting to send you the new Z R one with the uh the twin turbo V eight. I'll take
1: it. I'll take it. Yeah. That's fine. My my road is relatively straight. I think there's a quarter mile between maybe a half mile between stop signs. So it's fine. All right. Uh, So Rebecca, you were driving something a little bit more sedate, but um, still a good time. You had the Genesis G70.
3: I did. I did. You know, this is one of those cars, you know how we always try and like guess how much a car is, right? Like they drop it off and you're looking at it and thinking, you know, we always have a range. But I was really pleasantly surprised having driven this car, having experienced it. Um, at the, Again, like that value, like what you're getting for the money is actually really good with this Genesis G70. Uh, I had the rear wheel drive version. It, it had prestige. So it was more towards the top of the line. Um, personal pet peeve. I find the Genesis website, the consumer facing Genesis website, really hard to manipulate. So um, I think I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to the, top of the line, it had a couple of um, features, had the elite package, which was $4,600, and that's the eight inch touchscreen, power folding, um, auto dimming outside mirrors. It's got the tilt and telescope steering wheel, um, heated front seats, which actually comes standard in all wheel drive, which is nice because that's typically a weather kind of related thing. Um, And then it had really nice quilted leather interior. It also had, so the prestige package for almost $3,900. That has the heads up display, which I didn't Really find to be particularly compelling. Uh, I've had other vehicles uh, like the BMW uh, X5 or X3 that I had that that did a heads-up display a little bit better than that. Uh, but this had you know some, a, a variety of really nice features in it. So one of the things that I thought as I'm driving this is just that it's like kind of a, it's one of those vehicles that if you want it to go fast, it will happily go fast but if you just want to have a good solid commuting car that makes you feel like you've, that you've earned your keep, this is that car. This, you know, it's a size, it's about the size of a three series, competes with like the Mercedes three series and the, and the C class Mercedes, I'm sorry, Mercedes C class BMW three series. And, but it's just kind of like no drama. Like I just, I sat in it, I started driving it. We were up to triple digits ever so briefly. And then, it just was really well-behaved, and I appreciate that. Sometimes I'm really Kirby roads here. I could push it, and I, it would respond happily. I had the 2.0 liter. There is the 2.0 liter four-cylinder in line four. There is a 3.3 liter V6, which, of course, is even more fun. But, you know, at 252 horsepower horses, it just did exactly what I wanted it to do, and I just felt really comfortable in it almost from the very beginning, things were where I wanted them to be. And I just, I like that kind of experience. I, I don't want to fight with my car. You know what I mean? Like so, I just, I was yeah. like, yeah, this just makes well, sense
2: <laughs> of adventure. Yes.
3: There are some weeks when it is definitely an adventure. You're right. <laughs> so how does it feel like when you're actually
1: exercising it right on, you know, through some, some curves or, you know, making it, making it, perform like a sports sedan. Uh, Does it feel like all the pieces sort of are connected and talking to each other? Does it feel kind of sloppy?
3: No, I found it to be, you know, lunging into a tight turn. It wanted to go there. It was happy to go there. I felt like it was that sports sedan that everything was, was, tight and with me. And I never felt like, even though it was rear-wheel drive, I never felt like I was losing the back end. I never felt like I was, uh, you know, going to have any issues with it. It just, it was just a, a good car. It was very quiet on the, on the highway when I, you know, at speed and just fun to drive. It was just, it was, it was one of those cars that, if you, you know, as I said, if you, if you just want to do day to day, that's great. But for those times when you want to blow off a little steam, it will happily be a partner in that crime.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there is no crime in blowing up. There
3: is no crime.
1: <laughs> I think taken on its own. It, it is. It's, it's good and satisfying. I, I think where I've seen it fall down because I really like the G70 and I was impressed with it when I drove it. I had it with the V6, I think, um, a while ago. But I think where I've I've been surprised to see it fall down is in direct comparison tests with like uh, the three series.
3: Well, And um, I haven't driven a three series or C-Class lately.
1: Right. And I think that you, if you drive them back to back to back, the nuance really comes out more, but um, I was really surprised at like the last uh, car and driver comparison test I read where the, the genesis just got dinged for for just not having all the parts but not not doing it as well as the germans or as well as bmw the 3 series won the test cuz of course it did but uh i, I think wouldn't
2: that, be a car and driver comparo if it wasn't if they did
1: <laughs> i wonder if it's like it's actually kind of nuanced differences or if it's just um you know the g70 feels Good enough most of the time for most of us. And and it's that last little bit that um the next one will get, you know.
3: Well it's funny because the because I had been the car and driver review that I read actually said that rivals such as the Mercedes C class and three series are either not as fun to drive or not as richly appointed and still cost more.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, again, it's that classic. Uh, well, it's an opinion sort of point too, right? Yeah. I mean, I well, felt the, like. And when you compare the cars as well, you know, like when you're, when you're driving them, like a, you got a group of four or five cars versus like taking it on, on its own. I, I think it, it is true. Objectively, there's just a ton of value in the Genesis.
3: Well, and, and to not keep our listeners anymore in suspense. So this had a price tag <laughs> delivered of of under forty-five thousand dollars, forty-five thousand dollars. I yeah. mean, that's a that's really a good, good price for. Th-
2: and how much was that Infinity Q50 you had the other the week? The Infiniti
3: <laughs> Q50 was more, I believe. Let me go to my I, handy yeah, dandy. It seems like
2: it was over. It seems like it was over fifty. Rebecca grand.
3: drives website and look. <laughs> yeah, I think that's
2: that, at Rebeccadrives.com. <laughs>
3: exactly. Oh no, Call reviews it, 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 in two hundred words or less. Sixty thousand. Oh because it was the Red okay. Sport 400, it was 60475 Now that did have the 3.0 liter V6 engine in it, so, so the, um, the Genesis comparable is probably in that price range. I, but, you know, I can't say that I sat there and thought, gosh, I wish I had the Q50. You know, and the
1: other thing—I don't think anybody's saying that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that was interesting that actually just coincidentally came out at the same time was uh, this report uh, by owners of Genesis. So, Strategic Vision is a company that, um, actually, our listeners—if you bought a, a new car—you may have gotten a survey from them. Uh, they are—it's a new car buyer survey, and they ask consumers. Uh, you know, what do they think of their vehicle? But they periodically will do special reports. So this was actually the first strategic vision brand equity index. And it basically, it asks current and prospective owners how they feel about their vehicles. And so Genesis actually scored the highest of any brand, uh, of any, lo- any uh, brand overall in for, um, for confidence, for smart choice and for refinement in terms of owners. So the ownership experience that people are having is very, very positive for them. And I thought that was just such great news for people that have a Genesis. It tells us that you know, the, the owners aren't regretting their decision. They're really, really happy with it. And you know, non-owners of course Mercedes was was number one in terms of overall for, for confidence and for refinement, but that's a perception. What's interesting about the ownership is that's their reality. That's how they feel in their vehicles. And so I thought that was just really such great news for Genesis as it continues to define itself, to get itself on the map. And I think we've said all along that the products are there. It's just, that they've got to work on the, on the brand perception and their current owners can really be advocates for that, for the brand to improve on the sales and perception.
2: Well, somebody has to be an advocate for for the brand because, you know, there's not that many dealers and, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of hard to find. So, you know, if, if owners are willing to speak up and, you know, we've certainly seen the power of, of, you know, Voice, you know, voice of the owners or, or you know, um, you know, just customers, the testimony for a car. When you look at a brand like Tesla, yes, you know, Tesla doesn't do any traditional advertising, you know, and they rely completely on, you know, the the voice of the community to amplify you know, the, the message of the company and it's worked great for them. So hopefully it'll work for, for Genesis. Well, as well,
1: but Genesis, the one thing that they're missing is Genesis doesn't have a figurehead at the top of that brand doing outrageous shit all the time, <laughs> keeping them in the news getting all kinds of earned media.
2: Yeah, that that is very true.
3: Genesis needs to work on that for sure. That will right? help a lot. Hire
2: yeah. an asshole, and you guys will sell more cars. Hey, I think Bob Lutz, you know, would, would be willing to come out of retirement for that.
1: That's awesome.
2: Note note that
1: I did not infer that Mr. Lutz. I remember. I was not saying that either. I was just saying he
2: could be a great figurehead for the brand.
1: That's true. That's true. Bob has a well. He's a he's a product guy. He's got yeah. he's got a touch. He he could probably you know, be a good advisor for the brand. But I, I think they know what they're doing. I just think they're they're also stuck now. They gotta slow walk it a little bit. And um, I also I you know, puzzlingly, they've got half of it down, right? I'm I'm puzzled that I you don't really see or hear about Genesis. They're not tooting their own horn as much as I think they should.
2: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think part of the problem, you know, is the fact that, you know, they came out with three sedans.
1: Right. Well, yeah, that's part of it. they're Always. still waiting
2: on, on the GV80. Right. Which that should was the miscalculation of other crossovers. Right? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, they they pushed they pushed back the launch a little bit because of the pandemic, yeah. but uh it should be coming out in the next few weeks or a month or so.
1: So, I think like I don't know how they when they decided to split off and make Genesis its own brand, like they've had some lead time. I don't know how they got stuck with three sedans, why they didn't. Well, there was a the...
3: lot of internal politics. I mean, because sedans rule a day in Korea, right? And so when you're on the streets of Seoul, a, a Genesis is, is like a Mercedes over there. Yeah. And, you know, so, and there was a lot of, Back and forth when it came to the dealer network, you know they only gave the brand to certain dealers and then they they wanted them to have their own dealership I mean it was just there's been a lot of angst and in internal politics
2: does, does Genesis ex- exist as a standalone brand in other markets or is it only here in north america
3: I believe it's a standalone in other in other markets as well, I think it's a standalone in Korea. Certainly, okay, yes. I think- yeah, I think
2: I wasn't. Sure, I wasn't sure if they're still branding them as Hyundai's in Korea.
3: No, well, and one of the things that was interesting in this in the G seventy is that there's actually uh, seat adjusters um, built into the passenger side. So as the driver, I can just reach over and I can adjust the passenger side seat so that if somebody's <laughs> in the, sitting in the back seat. I can move that up easily enough, which is so funny because that's certainly not, I mean, it was convenient for me because at one point my visibility was kind of compromised by just that way that the road was sloping. And I was, I was backing down my driveway, but I just kind of had to laugh because I thought that's never something that you typically see in the States.
1: Yeah. I, but so this is the thing, this is a fundamental downfall of central planning, right? Like if you want to sell cars in the U.S., you will sell the kind of cars that people buy in the U.S.,
3: well, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, they would have had the GV80, especially because Hyundai has such fantastic SUVs. I mean, their SUVs are really, yeah. really good, so they had basis yeah. for them. And, it, and just on a structural note, uh, Kia, even though they're owned by Hyundai, is completely separate in the U.S., so they... Are a totally separate corporate entity. They're seen as fierce from, from competitors. A, from a
2: marketing and retail perspective, they are completely separate. Right, and they're from seen an as just competitors. From an engineering perspective, they're very much and very much entwined. I'm sorry. From from an engineering and product development perspective, they're very much yes. Entwined.
3: Back in Korea, they are, but
2: no, and here, you know, like the the Hyundai Tech Center, the Hyundai America Tech Center here, like five minutes from my house, um, you know, they do work. On Hyundai's and Kia's, it's actually the Hyundai Motor Group text center now. But they are not but allowed. They, you know,
3: I was told by them that they were not allowed to talk to each other. That like the Hyundai people couldn't find out what was in the on, Kia telluride. On on
2: on the on the marketing side, they're not. But from an, from uh, and I mean within the building, there you know there might be some divisions. But you know I mean they're working on you know they're doing the the engine work, the the chassis development work, you know all the all the product development work is happening in the same building for all, actually all three brands.
3: Okay, that's yes. going to be weird. But they were just very they were emphatic when we were on the Kia launch for the Telluride that they were a separate company. Oh.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah, they, they always, they always remind us of that, you know, anytime, anytime that we slip and say, you know, uh, refer, refer to, you know, the Optima and Sonata as being the same car or, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the Elantra and, um, the Forte, you know, or, you know, or the Telluride and and, (laughs) and the Palisade.
3: Yes. But so, so I think, you know, they, they have, Genesis has had a very rough start, and they've had the core group that they've had, that they had in place, I should say, with uh, people like Manfred Fitzgerald, who came over from Lamborghini, and he was, he was the president for a number of years. He's out now. And then Luke, uh, I was going to say Luke, Donker, not the not Dunk the basketball ball. player. <laughs> yeah. thank ball. you. <laughs> but you know he's now retired or left the company for personal reasons, and it's really unfortunate because I think that there's some you know they they had a really solid vision and and wanted to execute that vision, and I think we're starting to see that with some of the products coming out, but. There definitely is, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what Mark Del Rosso does at the top now with, with his experience at the brand. So see what happens.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I drove a car that has a very strong brand and a very strong image and they sell the hell out of it. Uh, I had the, uh, the Jeep Wrangler, I mean, Wrangler, Jeep Gladiator uh, Mojave and, um, so I was also in a sixty thousand something dollar vehicle, and uh, Sam, you had this not too long ago. Um, I'm yeah, really, about a month or so ago. Yeah, I'm really impressed with the Mojave. It's different than the Rubicon. You know, it's got the the Fox shocks with the remote reservoirs, and they're it's really they're really great at soaking up like small high frequency stuff. Uh, so it actually rides with a lot of discipline and it feels better the faster you go, which I, it's, that's the point. It's
2: kind that's, of a free it's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and it's a, it's a good sort of compact pickup. It, it has a decent tow rating, uh, dressed up in the Mojave trim, it's it's nice inside. This one had leather seats, and they charge you 500 bucks extra to put sound insulation on the to the top of the uh, the top of the Freedom top, you know. And you have a having a vehicle like this in the summer, in late summer, is just it really doesn't get much better than that, you know. I'm not I'm not really a convertible guy, but it's nice, you know. You pop up the pop off the top sections, and you, you roll down the windows, or if you're real ambitious, you take off the doors and. Um, you just drive around on a warm evening There's is quite a lot of charm to that um, and that's I think what what really stands out with the uh, the gladiator is the the personality they've got in this this pickup because uh, it it starts off more expensive than every other mid-sized truck and it stays more expensive
2: um, well, a pretty wide margin
1: yeah the Delta isn't that big to begin with um, I think if you were to buy a ranger you can get into a four wheel drive sort of crew cab short bed ranger for about 30 31 and the the gladiator i think the cheapest gladiator is going to be about 35 and then the colorado is like right in the middle so the cheapest colorado is going to be like 33 32 something like that so it it's not that far off if you're leasing or borrowing, it's you know you're, you'll get there. You, you could probably swing it um, if it if you wanted to stretch a little bit. But a nobody's buying the base model, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and B like it, it is. It's nicely equipped. You know, it has four wheel drive. It comes with the V6. Um, it it can tow uh, if you get it configured correctly. I like think it can tow seventy six hundred and fifty pounds which is just the top of the class or uh, they may have GM may have fiddled with the Colorado to get it to 7,700 so they can claim that has the best in class towing now. Um So th- that's like, it's pretty good. It's functional. Um Until you go to like use it. <laughs> what do
4: you mean? I So
1: we have <laughs> the power went out the other day well a couple weeks ago, you and I, uh, Rebecca, yes. we both lost power for a while. Yes. So I borrowed my brother-in-law's generator and it's an 8,500 watt generator. The thing is heavy. And um, I just, I wanted it back at his house so that it didn't become a, a theft target at mine. And I'm just like scratching my head, trying to figure out how am I going to get this into the bed of the Jeep, which
2: is. It's a yeah, fairly it, tall liftover height yeah, to get anything into the bed but of the Jeep. Well,
3: well, the one that I had had a five foot bed.
1: Yeah, well, the bed itself is a decent size. Like that's okay. good. And, you know, right. like, you it's just a high sh- trail trail it's high the It's high off the ground. Yeah, right. it's an extra inch off the ground in the Mojave. Ah. So I'm like looking around, like, what do I have? I had to actually tack together a quick, like, set of you know, a quick ramp out of like some some eight foot lumber I had kicking around, like some four by fours and stuff. Just ridiculous. <laughs> my my twelve year old's like, Dad, you should really just call him and have him come help you. I was like, No. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we're gonna figure that's
1: this out Dan. we're gonna engineer this i'm gonna throw a come along over the tree branch yeah uh so that's that's problematic though like it's it's tall and like even to get in you gotta like you know for, yeah. for those of us of getting in was stature, definitely exciting sometimes y- yeah you've gotta yeah. sort of like pull yourself you could you know good bicep sort of you know strength on that that grab handle um but that's i i think also that's that is part of the charm um i i really i did like it quite a bit it's it's a, one of those cars that if you if you want value no <laughs> 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 unless you're talking about resale and it's gonna hold on to its resale value but i have a hard time buying a car to sell it so that doesn't really factor in for me um initially you you are going to pay for the privilege of having the gladiator it generates goodwill. So that's nice. You know, I heard more than once, you know, uh, somebody commented as we drove by like, "Whoa, a Jeep truck. So that's cool. It's still new enough that it, it excites people. Um, I don't want to pay for that every month though.
3: (laughs) It was funny because I, my brother flew in from California last week and he, he, drove down and, and he said, Hey, can you meet me at this other airport so he could drop off his rental car? Cause he didn't need it. And it was a, it was a Jeep gladiator.
1: Really? It's in a the rental, f- rental fleet. Wow.
3: But was what, what was also, what I fleet? yeah, I couldn't believe it. But what was also kind of interesting is that he didn't really rave about it. He was like, I was like, why don't you keep that thing? Like I wanted to keep it for the week. And he was just like, Oh, it was, it was fine. Like he would, he didn't really go on and on about it, which was kind of interesting. Because huh. he's driven other products for me, you know, as like if he's visiting or something, and I always get clearance from the manufacturer. But uh, it was just kind of interesting that he didn't really rave about it because I thought it was. I think it's great fun.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It's it's a fun car, and and I I think that dressed up like the Mojave, it definitely has the goods too. You know, it's got. Dana 44 axles, it's got the two-speed transfer case and the locking rear axle, and you you can seriously, you know, do a lot of off-road on this. If it's going to be used like a lot of Jeeps are, never take an off-road. It's kind of a shame and a waste, but, yeah, I mean, you're free to buy whatever the hell you want. And it's, it's a big personality vehicle, just like a Raptor. Um...
2: I actually like it better than the Raptor. I do too. You know, that's some, something to drive around because like you said, the suspension setup is so much better. It's so much better controlled than the Raptor. The Raptor feels kind of soft and floppy on yeah. the road.
1: Yeah. And, and the Raptors, I, it's a Ford truck. I don't, I don't. I remember, yeah. I haven't driven the Raptor, but I drove the Ranger. Don't and... let
2: Mr. Levine hear you say that.
3: But I, they're good trucks. I just don't like them that much. I drove the Ranger <laughs> at an Impa event and it was not okay. Really, really. What didn't you like about the Ranger? It was really loud and very rough, and and other people agreed with me. I was like, I, "It, it, no." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think part of the problem with uh, the Ranger is that it only has the, the 2.3 liter EcoBoost in it, which is a powerful enough engine. You know, it's, it's actually more powerful than the um, the engine that's in the Gladiator, I think, um, but it's. It's still, it's, it's a, got
2: more torque. I yeah. think it's got a in the truck. It's got a little less horsepower. Cause I think it's like two seventy five or something. Oh,
1: okay. I was going to say that's gotta be like a 300 horsepower engine,
2: but that yeah. makes sense. They traded horsepower. It is to in torque. a Mustang, yeah. but not, not in the Ranger. Um,
1: <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm actually surprised how well the gladiator does with the, the V six because it's, it's got 285 horsepower and 260 pound feet of torque. It's not a light vehicle in the first place. So to get to that towing, um, number where uh the the gladiator Mojave can only do about six thousand pounds oh, I say only
2: that's pretty good um that's i mean that's sufficient for what most people need yeah. for towing i mean you know mo- most people that that tow you know are towing you know maybe a a boat you know that's typically about between four and forty five hundred pounds. Um, you know, or, you know, a, a trailer a with a trailer, couple yeah. of snowmobiles or jet skis or something
1: yeah. like that. Oh, they'll do a jet ski trailer all day long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, think that the, the e-torque system might help fill in the gaps, you know, cause the, the Pentastar, uh, it, it you got to work it a little bit here. Um, so the e-torque might help, um, the diesel's coming. I don't think the diesel, the rumor is the diesel is not going to tow anymore because, They've just got to figure out how to package all the stuff in the front of it. So it's going to lose some cooling. Um, so the, the heat is a problem with the diesel when you,
2: when you well, tow. If, if you're, if you're not, if you can't tow with the diesel, then there's no point in getting the diesel at all. Yeah. I mean, that's d- that's the point of getting a diesel. Right. In a truck um,
1: like that. Well, it'll tow more efficiently, but I, you know, David Tracy had an interesting write up about it. One of the problems with the Gladiator getting over that 6,000 pound tow rating to get to 7650. Was that there's just not a whole lot of space on the front of it to package, oh, okay. um, you know, a, a thicker radiator, a larger radiator, more ducting. Something, you know, like there was, yeah. they had a real challenge getting enough heat out of the uh, the cooling system, and they got there with the gas engine. Uh, but the diesel has a charge air cooler, and it's got to go somewhere, and so yeah. that takes
2: up space. Well, then- and and one of the things that they've talked about with the Gladiator, one of the differences between the Gladiator and the Wrangler, if you look at the grill, it's actually the same grill, except on the Wrangler, there's like a chrome trim bezel around the interior, around the perimeter of each of those slots. Yep. And on the on the gladiator, they actually removed that to make that those slots just slightly wider and taller, get a little bit of extra airflow in there to, to get the cooling they needed for the gladiator, yep, which you know which they didn't need on the wrangler
1: and, and part of it too is like it's gaming tests like fuel economy, you know because yeah. they're doing the s a e uh towing test' it's, it's a combo of cooling and gearing and which gear the engine is in, so which rpm it runs at, depending on how much heat it's going to generate so it's it's all, it's just, it's fascinating uh, sort of deep nerdy engineering. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think the diesel is going to do any better in sort of the, the sort of uh, overall number. It's probably going to tow more confidently. It's just going to feel better. Um, and I think it's probably why you're not going to see a Hemi in here either. It's just, you can't, you can't get the heat out of the Hemi either um, in, in that engine bay. So it kind of is what it's it is. a shame because
2: that. that, you know, the one thing it could use is a Hemi in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's something to be said for like the 1930s theme (laughs) that the the gladiator pulls off. You know, it feels (laughs) feels cozy inside. You look out over that rounded hood with the flat fenders and stuff just makes you nostalgic, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I, I like it a lot. I think it's totally the point. It drives really friendly. It drives way better than it really should for what it is given the primitive
2: something with two something with two solid axles yeah
1: and... and i say primitive engineering it's actually got a lot of very expensive fancy modern day engineering in it um to make it behave so well um you know but it's the, the worst i can say about it is that it's, it's a serious financial commitment and so maybe if you can afford it
2: go it's ahead cheap yeah. of course it is
1: um but uh it's uh it's a it's a member into a club uh, it's a membership into the club too so you gotta like practice your wrangler wave my my son was reminding me <laughs> about that it's like that person just waved to you. was like ah shit i forgot
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, since since getting my miata i've uh you know i've i've learned to you know hit the button on the uh the console to pop up the headlights when I see another NA coming. Uh, nice. nice. Nice.
3: I
1: like that. Yeah, so we're not, I'm not friendly like that. I got to remind myself. <laughs> You're a man of the people. How are you
3: not
2: friendly?
1: It's true. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a shop steward. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm grouchy. <laughs> I look out for my people, but I'm a grouch about it. <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So I, you know, I I think that the Gladiator is a great uh, great pickup. I'm glad we have it. Uh, you, it's going to cost you, it, but it's. I mean, nothing else really has that kind of charm. So go for it if you can.
2: Rebecca, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the uh, the strategic vision owner brand equity award?
3: No, I think it's. Uh... No, I think I said my piece, you know, it's just, again, it's okay. an interesting kind of uh, just another marker that consumers can look at and address and say, you know, you can Google if you're doing your research and say, what strategic visions owner brand equity award. And then you get a good idea of the ownership experience for some of these people.
2: Okay. Well, there, there's another uh, award that also came out the, uh, from JD power, uh, not so much an award, I guess, but they uh, measured the technology experience index and, you know, they inter- did, you know, sent out surveys to uh, you know, customers of, you know, all of the, all the major brands um, and did scoring um, on categories, including effectiveness, innovation and customer reception. Um, and interestingly, the, uh, you know, they it had a total maximum score of a thousand. Only one brand got over 600, and that was Volvo. Uh, it got 617. That
3: is, um, everybody else
2: went down from there. Yeah, it's <laughs> infuriating. <I'm>
3: <laughs> it Don't encourage yeah. them.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, then second on the list was BMW,
3: another fascination
2: <laughs> uh, with the 583, uh, Cadillac at 577. Mercedes-Benz at 567 and Genesis at 559. Uh, And, you know, one of the things in in this article that's mentioned, you know, Tesla isn't on the list and for, and it's for the same reason that Tesla is typically not on uh, the quality surveys, the JD power quality surveys, because what they, um, what they do, um, what JD power does, they send out these surveys to people who have bought cars from these brands and you know, they have to get the customer data uh, from the manufacturers or, or in, in some states that they actually get the customer data, the registration data from the state DMVs. But uh, in some states, they're required to get permission from the manufacturer to contact their customers. And Tesla um, does not allow, you know, in those states, there's 15 states where that's required. Tesla has never allowed J.D. Power to actually contact its uh, its customers where permission is required. Well, I mean, so, to be
1: fair, Tesla is also not good at contacting its own customers.
2: Well, that is that is very true. <laughs> um, so Tesla didn't get an official score. Uh, but in the 35 states where they were able to survey Tesla customers, they got a 593 score, which would have put them in second place uh, behind Volvo, which is interesting. Um uh, yeah, the the thing the tech that customers liked and didn't like, um, they were still uneasy about automated driving systems. And you know, I guess in this case, it's still it's ADAS. And last week, um, TU Automotive <clears throat> put on a virtual conference. You know, it's a com. They did a combination of several of the conferences that they're responsible for, like the, the annual TU Detroit. Uh, conference that's usually in June and their ADAS to autonomy conference. And I, I sat through a bunch of the sessions and discussions for that conference. And it's, it's interesting, you know, how like the uh, driver assist features, a lot of customers still don't like using those, you know, things like lane keeping assist and blind spot monitoring, which, you know, I, I would have thought, you know, that that's the one that I think is often it's usually the best and you know and cro- uh, combined, especially combined with cross traffic alert um, they you know things like the surround view cameras they definitely like um, and what else here um, oh the thing that customers universally disliked gesture controls Which
1: I like <laughs> I understand it but I I don't I don't know that I agree I kind of like the gimmicky gesture controls
2: you I, are I know so else
1: weird. Is. Come on! I I like. I hate the things that everybody. No, this is on brand for me. You generally,
3: universally, are very scathing about frivolous things, and you like gesture control. I yeah, surprisingly.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's like I was gonna say. It's it's definitely on brand for me to just like completely dislike all the things that everybody else loves, and to like the one thing they hate. That totally makes sense. you know, I'm surprised that they don't well, – I'm not surprised. I, it's it's encouraging to see that they're uncertain about ADAS and, um, you know, it makes at least half of the people uneasy uh, it, because I, I think that that's really a good slice of reality. And that's what we have to um, – everybody's going to have to either get comfortable with or we have to make the systems better so that they're actually – you know, they're soothing on their own uh, when you put them into sort of self driving mode and, and we're not really there. It's although the Tesla owners, I think as a, as a sort of group really do love uh, autopilot. Um, no other,
2: but it works. Yeah. Well, no
1: other automaker sort of has that, that quite kind of level of evangelism in it's uh, in its driver base. I, I think, think that
3: if you queried most or the vast majority of Tesla owners they would describe themselves as innovators and early adopters right and yeah. so they're willing to yeah, very much to, so. to take that risk like the work I did in saudi focused on on tesla owners versus nissan leaf owners and those tesla owners by far and away were willing to take the risk of to use technology as new as autonomous and that was 5 years ago you know so I think that that's a given. I mean, I have a Volvo XC90 this week, and yesterday I I almost had a heart attack because it's it thought that there was a car when there wasn't a car, like it around a turn. So as I'm turning, there's a car parked, and all of a sudden I get this loud break, 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 like like I'm you know how right. like in, like a in a cockpit where it says, pull up, pull up, pull up, <laughs> pull up. Like, pull up yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it scared the dickens out of me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it happened again today.
1: Well, and- it's, so that's that's the other point that uh, the study sort of covered, though, is like many customers are unsure of how to operate the systems or, or what they can do and what what they don't do. You sure. Know? And, and I think that that's, that's true. It's funny, uh, back when we were commuting, um, <laughs> I would, you know, my, my wife and I would call each other on our commutes and... Uh, you know, she would often hear the systems beeping at me. <laughs> She'd be like, Are you going to hit somebody? I'm like, No, it's just, it's calibrated. And certain cars are calibrated, so they're very conservative. And you're just like, I'm totally fine. It's just, you know, making the system nervous. Thinks I'm going to hit the car in front of me that I'm passing now.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the, this, the Volvo definitely has an overabundance of systems. And for the most part, they're, you know, they're quite good. They're most of them are haptic, first of all, which I far prefer, and I understand. Like, if that braking system, it it would be very good if, say, I'm drowsy, you know, or I'm, or it's dark out. But the false alarms are, you know, to your point, Dan, of making them better. The false alarms then just make people want to turn it off.
2: And and especially with lane keeping assist, you know, this is the thing I think that irritates people the most and you know it's off you know it's often what trigger causes me to turn off lane keeping assist systems when they are too sensitive and they give you constant false alarms Mm -hmm. and you know that's and it's an audible alarm right um you know the the car i'm driving this week is the cadillac ct5 and you know i drove it across the state to grand rapids on friday and this you know it reminded me of you know, one of the things that GM really does did right was coming up with uh, a haptic feedback system in the seat. Yes, it actually vibrates the seat. So when you know, if you're drifting towards the lane on one side or the other, you know, it'll vibrate the seat on that side to to give to give you a warrant, give you an alert. Or uh, if you're backing out of a parking space in a parking lot and somebody's walking down the aisle, you know, and you know detects a pedestrian, it'll buzz the seat. You know, which I think is a great—you know—it's a great way to provide feedback, um, and it, you know, it's not overly sensitive. I think I think they did a, a good job of balancing the sensitivity, and you know, providing you a good feedback mechanism.
3: Yeah, I think the other really confusing thing is that we haven't we haven't settled on a terminology for each of these things, and right. and we and even if we have like blind spot monitoring people don't really know what that means. And and I'll, you know, an example is my, when my sister and her husband were going car shopping, they wanted to buy a gently used like off-lease vehicle. And there were two cars there, two Jeep Grand Cherokees that were basically exactly the same. I think I've told the story before. And basically, you know, one had blind spot monitoring, one did not. And I kept trying to push her to say, look, buy the blind spot monitoring, buy that, buy that. They ended up not buying it because they went with the one that they had originally picked out And the first time that my brother-in-law drove it, he said to my sister, "Hey, why didn't it tell me the car was there?" And she goes, "That's blind spot monitoring that Rebecca's been trying to tell you about." And he's like, "Oh, I didn't know what that was." Always listen
2: to your wife or your sister. I'm sorry. I said, "Always listen to your wife or your sister."
3: well, I don't get paid, but I get. No, <laughs> I no you're a car
1: writer. You <laughs> definitely don't get paid, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: but, you know, it just reminds us, but it, it brings it back to that consumer level, right? Of like, of realizing that we are so in, enmeshed in all of this stuff that the general consumer may still need that translation of what blind spot monitoring actually is.
1: Well, there's a, and, yeah, there's a rush to brand everything so that it all has your own name on it and that (laughs) creates confusion um and then there's also just like back to that that jd power sort of study like finding that that people don't know what it does they don't know how it works and and you know for some of the higher end cars there's that that training session that the dealer should give you um a lot of them do but uh, you know, even that it's, you sit with the, you know, the person from the dealer for a half hour or an hour while they go through the car. And then you're so overwhelmed because the feature set is so deep that you just, you forget or you've tuned out halfway through because it's just, it's a lot, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. and, and so I don't, I don't know how we make that better. And the, you know, the Volvo experience that you're explaining is like, well, that's how they've sort of decided to handle it is they're going to make the system conservative, and it's it's going to uh, be really preemptive, and probably, you know, that's good in a way, but also uh, it can annoy the crap out of you.
3: Well, yeah, because so, the first <laughs> thing somebody's going to say if they crash is, "Why didn't the system notify me?"
1: Right. Exactly. Right. So, so they're going and then, like, to. And part of it, yeah, part of it is like, well, if it's going off all the time, at least you're seeing the thing you've bought. You know. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you know, lane keeping systems. I think most people generally don't like because they fight with you. Um, and, and a lot of them just, they can't follow the lines, uh, the the lines on our highways aren't that great in, at least in this region. So (laughs) they get confused. Uh, some of them are real good. Others, they sort of wobble around, you know, from right to left as they try to stay centered. Um, but the, you know, we're going to, I think they're going to figure out what people want and what people don't want. And some of this stuff is going to go away or, or just get get better so it gets out of the way
2: i think i think it's more it's going to get better i don't think most of these features are going to go away <clears throat> i think one thing that will definitely get better is the the branding you know as you said you know manufacturers have used their own branding you know like adaptive cruise control you know um, Super Cruise. Autopilot. Toyota calls it, um, you know, ra- uh, radar cruise control. Hyundai calls it uh, smart cruise control. Uh, Nissan calls it intelligent cruise control. I mean, everybody's got their own branding <laughs> for, the,
3: yeah, for, the, yeah.
2: for the, same, the same thing. So, you know, one of the things that's good is um, Consumer Reports has really been making a, a push to standardize the naming of these features. And, you know, there's also, I think we've mentioned it before as well. The National Safety Council has a program called My Car Does What. Yes. Uh, and there's a, a website, mycardoeswhat.org, where you can go and you can see all the different features and, you know, there's explainers on what they do. Um, and, you know, they, they, part, you know, when they launched this a couple of years ago, they, uh, they actually produce a whole bunch of materials, you know, pamphlets and stuff and posters that they distribute to um, DMV offices around the country you know, to help drivers understand what all these features are, what they do, what it means. Um, So, you know, there's this push now to get that standardization of the naming so that everybody's using consistent naming uh, for these features, and I think that'll help, you know, and then combine that with education, uh, you know, hopefully we can get to a point where people are less confused by that. I don't think we'll ever get, you know, completely not confused, but certainly if we can get them less confused so they understand better, what the capabilities and the and more importantly, what the limitations are, then I think that it'll make a difference. Let's jump into some uh listener questions. <clears throat> so, let's start with a question that came in from Snap, uh, at uh, Yelly AJ, maybe I'm not sure how you would pronounce that. Uh, but yeah, you you know question. You or they had a question uh, about production of the 2021 Ford F-150. Uh, has it started yet? And when can we expect those on dealer lots? And uh, no, not started yet. Um, they're doing a shutdown. There's two plants that build the F-150 in Dearborn, Michigan, and Kansas City, Missouri. Um, the Dearborn plant's going down for two weeks, middle of September, and then we'll start production uh, like the last week of September. And then uh, right after uh, Dearborn is done with its changeover. They'll change over uh, Kansas city and they'll start production. I think about the second or third week of October. So you should start seeing F one fifties hitting dealer lots, new F one fifties hitting dealer lots uh, by the end of October.
1: All right. So get ready. All right. And, uh, there's not a, well, was, yeah. The, the 2021 is probably worth waiting for if you really must have it. There's not a, a huge gulf between the 2020s and, and 21s in a lot of ways they're both really good trucks if you need a truck get one you, you'll, you'll be you'll be pleased. yeah i think
2: i think the big the big difference uh well, there's actually several big differences one the interior on the new f-150 should be much better did you saw it last week didn't you Rebecca? i did yeah this is
3: one of the products that they had out yeah. with the bronco
2: so was the interior better than the current F-150? You know, I,
3: unfortunately, because there's really not Fords in our press fleet, I rarely get the opportunity to drive them, but I will say that this one had a, a beautiful interior and they also had a lot of nice, small, uh, the emotional solutions that I call them, just finer details of, of, you know, being able to make it, they, they really thought about making it a work truck along with making it a beautiful vehicle inside and out. So, I think, you know, from a cost standpoint, if you're budget conscious, I I agree with Dan, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of differences, but over time, those kinds of small things like having a platform for a computer to be able to work, uh, being able to you know, just the, the ingress and egress was was really easy, uh, both from the cabin standpoint, as well as from the truck bed standpoint. And they've just done a lot of really nice, thoughtful features to it, to the 2021.
1: Yeah, it's a great update. I mean, Ford knows how to make a truck and make it work they do. for everyone.
2: yeah. And, and so uh, and and, you know, you have the hybrid that's also coming up yes. uh, as well. Oh, that's uh, true. Which should be interesting. That's true. So, yeah,
1: if there's one segment that needs hybrids, that's definitely <laughs> Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, next one from Harvey Simon. Uh, question for uh, for me and Dan. Uh, do you consider yourselves part of the auto industry? And uh, the question is prompted by Rebecca's description of herself in the last two shows as part of the auto industry. Uh, "Quote: We have not done a good job as an industry." And on the previous episode, her wording was similar. We in the auto industry. I thought that folks who review cars to do so objectively could not be part part of the industry they write about, and therefore would consider themselves journalists. So, why don't you go first, Dan, and then I'll respond.
1: Um, I I don't consider myself directly part of the automotive industry per se. I would I would feel more to, more uh, as part of the industry if I were working for automaker PR, which uh, I you know I could make myself available. Uh, <laughs>
3: For instance,
1: for for the right price. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, to be honest, we're a tertiary industry, though. And and so there is that um, understanding of we cover the product and the industry um, and we have a close relationship. Uh, And and you you do have to be aware of that so that you don't you don't sort of get uh, too far removed from being a journalist, you know, and I, I know that I—it's—it's it's hard for me to say I'm a full-time journalist too because I'm—I'm I'm stuck out here in Massachusetts. I'm stubborn. I won't—I won't go to New York. I won't go to LA. I won't go to Detroit. So that limits my options. I can freelance. I can sort of uh, have it as a, as a side hustle, um, and I try not to take up too much space for the people who are doing it full time <laughs> because uh, those are the folks who really. Um, they are a lot more, they're a hardcore journalists, and they, they should really, and you see it happen. They, they, they cover the industry with the same zeal that a political recorder, reporter does and should cover politics. And, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it's their beat. Uh, so I, I guess, yes, I consider myself part of the automotive journalism industry, but not the automotive industry per se.
2: Uh, Rebecca, do you want to add anything to it before I respond?
3: No, I'd like to hear your response as well.
2: Okay. So, um, I do consider myself part of the industry. Uh, You know, I don't work for an automaker or supplier anymore. I used to. Uh, I mean, that's where I started my career, working for suppliers uh, as an engineer. And, you know, I've, I've always considered myself part of the industry, even, you know, when I worked as a full-time journalist, which I don't now, you know, part-time journalist and my, my full-time job, my 40 hour a week job is as an industry analyst, um, where, you know, I study the technologies and, you know, do market research and the work that I do, the pro the work product that I do, um, you know, I don't work for automakers or suppliers or, or anybody else, you know, that, would be it sounds like that you would consider part of the industry but they they purchase the the product that we produce the research reports that we produce um you know they you know just as they also subscribe to car magazines and automotive news you know and other publications you know to get an understanding of what's going on out in the industry but even as a journalist you know especially you know covering you know a lot of the technology stuff I, I do still consider myself part of the industry to the degree that you know especially the, the kinds of things that we're talking about uh, you know it's it's part to uh, it's part of our responsibility to educate our readers our listeners our viewers on what these products are how they work why they work the way they do um, and you know we are not, salespeople or marketing people or PR people for the automakers, but we, you know, it's our job to educate you about, you know, what are, you know, what are these products, why do they work as they do, and what should you know about them, and, you know, to the, you know, to the quotes, you know, about Rebecca, uh, you know, what she said about, you know, we've not done a good job as an industry, you know, uh, I think that was... Probably in our discussion of EVs, right. or I know, I know you've you've certainly used that that wording in the context of EVs and, and some of the other things we've talked about on the show. Uh, you know, it's it's all of our responsibility, even when we're not working as for automakers, to help people understand what what can an EV do or what can an ADAS system do for you. Um, you know, that's that's what we do as communicators, you know, as media communicators, is helping people to understand. And, um, you know, while, you know, and we, and we try to do that, um, you know, while not necessarily being salespeople, not promoting, you know, any particular product, but helping them understand what it is about a product that they might be interested in.
3: Right, I mean, I feel um, like we're scouts. You know, it, it's, if you think about, Scouts, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, they evaluate players, right? And they're part of the industry. And some scouts are independent. Some scouts will work for a specific team. But it's, we're providing, uh, I think, one of the, we're providing a service, but we try, I think, as much as possible to remain objective which is why we often have a pro and con. Like I always try and bring up something that I didn't really like about a product. There's rarely something that's completely fawning. Uh, You know, a fawning review isn't gonna help anybody. And so I think that's one of the things that we try and do is, as you say, Sam, provide that perspective and provide that our, this is our experience with that vehicle. And while we're, I, I mean, I do feel like I'm part of the industry also. You know, we're in, we're yeah. meshed, in, we're enmeshed in it. This is what we've been doing for over 20 years.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you know, you can you can be objective. Um, you know, having an opinion is not mutually exclusive with being objective. You know, in fact, I think I think it's necessary to be objective, to have a valid opinion. You know, to have a, a responsible opinion. I wouldn't necessarily say valid, but but you know, a responsible opinion. You know, to to have you know to for us to do our jobs. You know, we have to give you our opinions, and we have to come at it from you know from a position of trying to be objective about it so that it's honest, you know, both, you know, about how we feel about it. And as you can see, sometimes we disagree on stuff, um, you know, and and that's good because, you know, we're, we're, all three of us are coming at it from very different perspectives. You know, we, uh, we have d- very different backgrounds, very different needs and wants uh, in a vehicle. And, you know, there's a lot of things we agree on and a lot of things we disagree on, you know, and those are all, perfectly legitimate i think
1: well i I would like to throw it back out to um the listeners and, and sort of you know take their temperature like why do you why do you listen what keeps you coming back i know part of it is uh people have learned our our personalities and those those likes and dislikes and wants and needs in vehicles and i think part of that is you you align yourself to a degree with the opinions that um the the, you share right like you you know okay this music reviewer always craps on this particular band that i like
3: (laughs) you know know I've, i've always said you know a movie critic you should follow the critic whose movies you agree whose critics you agree with like if somebody suggests a movie and you go and see it you actually like it follow that critic because everyone has a different a, a, you know, a different like and dislike. There's some movies that I really like and there's some movies that I don't like. And so if- or, you, you should if,
2: also follow critics who disagree. Well, with no, no, well. no, absolutely. If you, if you but, yeah.
3: but you know, we do, we each, I, I agree. Like I would be, I would love to hear more about how our listeners perceive us and what they think about it. But, you know, it, to me, it's just like, if you want to go see a movie, go back to the critic whose movies you actually liked, you know, their recommendations.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, I I'd, I'd love to, you know, the journalist thing is just to, to be like a, a small child, right. And just keep asking why, 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 and, and throwing it back. So uh, if there's an opinion or, uh, you know, it's some rant that one of us goes on and, and you want to know more about it, like, you know, I, I'm very open to that. And I think that that's something that is really healthy is to be challenged on that. And uh, for, yeah, I think we do it amongst ourselves too, is just to, to make sure that we're, we're asking each other, "Well, okay, why do you feel that way? What is your reason for for liking or disliking?" I think it's pretty clear why I don't like touchscreens, <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's also clear why some people do like them. Um, to me, even though I dislike them, you know, so that's I, I think that's where you get the and this is an
2: area where Dan and I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> the Deeper understanding,
1: but but I know like like um. Uh, you know, even just putting climate control in auto or uh, using the the voice command. Uh, I know Rebecca, you like voice command. Um, I when never think works. to use it. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's fun when it works, but you know, like to me, it feels tedious to use. But it's it's that you know, there's enough depth to this that I think that's what what uh, keeps it keeps it interesting. Um, so yeah, I I don't necessarily myself feel like I'm part of the automotive industry, but uh, if somebody wants to change
3: that. <laughs> let's,
1: let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad that you guys feel like you're part of the industry. That's good.
3: But Harvey, thank you for the question though. That was from Harvey Simon. Yeah. All
2: right. Next up uh, from Adam uh, Jekowenko. Uh, something Rebecca said on our most recent show. You're getting us in cord. trouble, Rebecca. I
3: know, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it was her mentioning the value of rear cross-traffic alert. We're an EV family and shop Teslas briefly, but we're extremely disappointed to find that such a high-tech car does not offer this That feature, is amazing. I had no for idea it didn't offer it because we find it so valuable. There are so many times that where our Chevy Bolt, which is what we ended up buying, alerted us to things we could not see. I still can't believe that Tesla doesn't offer this feature, and I just don't understand why. I saw someone as recently as a couple of months ago tweeted Elon begging for this feature, and he said he would consider it. It's just crazy to me that it's on almost every car in this price range. And I know it's a bit of a hard stance to take, especially for Tesla fans out there who will and have said to me, just use your camera. But if they never implement this feature, I will never buy one. Yeah, but the camera,
1: Um, the sensors can see further than the camera. Like, that's the thing that, like, I have a uh, a shrub at the end of my driveway, and rear cross traffic alert can often see a car coming that I can't see because there's a shrub blocking both the camera and my view off the back of the the car. So when when it goes off, I stop and then I see the car
2: go by.
3: Yeah, like, the camera's right. not and sufficient. It's not the same thing.
2: Yeah. Right, and and the cameras are also not you know on Teslas are not positioned where they could be utilized for cross traffic alert. You know, so the the way cross traffic alert works, it actually is. Uh, it's using the same hardware that's available for your blind spot monitoring. So there's two short range radar sensors in the rear corners and the rear bumper on, on either side um, <clears throat> that uh, are, they're mounted behind the plastic covering on your bumper and or typically they are anyway. Sometimes they're um, actually integrated into the taillight assembly, but that's another story. Um, and, you know, so when you're backing up, you know, these can actually look out sideways from the rear corners of your car and look down, you know, if you're in a parking lot or a driveway and look sideways, you know, to see if there's any, you know, to detect, if there's anyone, whether it's a pedestrian or a vehicle or a cyclist coming, you know, towards your path. And the advantage that radar has over cameras gives it's much more accurate at detecting speed and direction than cameras are. And, you know, unfortunately the, you know, Tesla made the choice that they were going to use just the single radar sensor on the front for that they have for adaptive cruise control, um, and leave it at that. And everything else is done with the cameras and with ultrasonic sensors, which have a much shorter range, and they're not as good at detecting where the object is. Whereas radar is very good at that. Um, so it's 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 an unfortunate choice that Tesla made, but. Almost, you know, it, this, is, this is a technology that's rapidly becoming mainstream standard equipment in mainstream cars, you know, all the way, you know, from base models, you know, for $20,000, you know, all the way up to much more expensive cars, you know, uh, almost all Hondas, Toyotas, Nissans, uh, Fords have it as standard equipment now. Um, GM still, unfortunately, makes it an option on most of their cars But um, I think they're probably going to end up moving towards making it standard in the next few years.
3: I hope so. Maybe if Elon's kid, once he starts to walk, whatever his name is, you know, as he toddles around whatever mansion they're in, maybe something will happen to him and he'll see the the value of it. (laughs) I hope it
1: doesn't take that.
3: Well, not that he's going to hit the kid, but you know, like all of a sudden you realize like if something happens to you in your personal life, sometimes then you'll, they'll, they'll be happy to implement it. Then all of a sudden they'll see the value of it. Obviously I don't want any harm to come to the child. (laughs)
1: There,
2: there, 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 there was also a PS from Adam. <laughs> ah,
1: it's a nice kid there. It's
3: going be a shame if something
1: happened to him. <laughs> uh, I,
2: uh, he says, uh, I also really love satellite radio, particularly talk stations. And the fact that you can't get this easily or implemented well on a Tesla is also deal breaker number two. I just don't understand why they don't implement the simplest forms, uh, simplest of common features like these, uh, wow. as well as Android Auto and Apple CarPlay while they're at it. Yeah. So, Sir, um,
1: Sir, satellite radio is like you have to make the deal with Sirius XM, right? Yep. And it yeah, cost you money.
3: Well, and, and I, I was talking to Jeff Gilbert on WWJ today, and of course, there's no AM, saddle, AM radio either in Volvos or BMWs or, and presumably Tesla. Tesla,
2: yeah, Tesla has never had AM yeah. radio. Um, uh, but what do you they, do at
3: night? That's
1: like you drive <laughs> at night, a long, long highway drive at night. You want to pick up the stations that are like thousands of miles away with the skip. <laughs> I would do that. I'd drive from, from, from
2: home. Uh, apparently Tesla's had issues with uh, interference with their oh, um, yeah, that's electric true. drivetrain, And, uh, and I, you know, I think some other OEMs have had similar issues with uh, with electric vehicles um, and AM radios. That's true. Um, I will it's, say it's like, a, I have not had nothing had... to solve. That yeah. seems like a I mean, great
3: I've... plot for a horror film. I've digress. not <laughs>
1: had good AM reception in a car in the last 15 years. That's true. It's just too much. Yeah. The car itself is just kicking off too much, uh, electromagnetic radiation.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, two more, uh, quick ones here, um, from groove, uh, Due to the looming shortage of commas, what are your opinions on Oxford commas? Again, feel free to needlessly get personal on your opinions.
3: I love this. People need to start following us on Twitter because these kinds of conversations show up on Twitter and they're pretty hilarious. Uh, well, go. I mean, what's your what's your comma opinion? Well, so my comma opinion is that they, they. I, I started to say this on Twitter, and then it didn't really come out right. But it's like it's like nudity in movies. It, sometimes it judiciously moves the plot along and clarifies something, uh, but and <laughs> other times it's just gratuitous. And I like a well placed comma. <laughs>
1: so... You know. <laughs>
3: So if it clarifies and moves the plot along, and as I said on Twitter, it's the whole idea of I like eating my family and my pets, or I like eating, comma, my family, comma, and my pets. Don't be it's a like psycho, that, use commas.
1: What was that book? Like, Eat, Shoots, and Leaves? Um,
3: yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not... Your metaphor, I'm still sucking you your metaphors. So. <laughs> Is there a point where the comma becomes a hyphen when it gets real heated? Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the uh, I, I like I like the Oxford comma. Like I, I generally like it, it A, I went to I went to Catholic elementary school and Sister Mary Elephant, like we had rules. I mean it's Roman Catholic elementary school. It's just all about rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, you always, always, always use a comma. Like you have the Oxford comma. And so in my Can we explain what corner, the Oxford
3: comma is for our listeners? So the
1: Oxford comma is sort of like the, it, it's, it's a serial comma. So when you have a group of three or more, um, a lot of times what uh, the modern style allows is you drop that last one and you just use and in between. So it's like, uh, you know, I had wheat bread, peanut butter, and jelly. Um, I, I don't know if that's a great.
2: No, it's a good example. And and then the Oxford, with when you use the Oxford comma before the and, like you, I had wheat bread, peanut butter, comma, and jelly. Um, but the AP Style Guide, which a lot of publications use, explicitly says, or it did until recently. I think they've actually just they changed, changed it. it yes. Uh, um, said not to put that last comma before the and. So that drove me
1: bonkers as sort of the the copywriting side of my career, because I'd, I would run across these like, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs of website copy or like advertising copy or something. And it would just be rife with that last co- comma missing. I'd be like, what is the matter with you? Who taught you how to write? Like... <laughs> No, and I would spend time going back in and like adding them back in, and then I'd hand it off, and the you know the, the guy I handed it off to would be like, "What is the matter with you? Who taught <laughs> you how to write? Need to take them all out," <laughs> and I'd be like, "No, like it's not clear," and and I think that that's a it's a precision thing to me. Like you you need to break them up. I it, maybe people just don't like the look of it or whatever. I don't know. I there's a lot of stuff I don't like about AP uh, style um, passive voice. Yeah, the, I hate the passive voice, but partly because I'm an advertising copywriter, and so <laughs> uh, we want action. But also, just like as a as a um as a journalist, or, or you know, somebody who's writing about you know the enthusiast press more so than a journalist, like we want action in our stories, and and really it's not not like that sort of classic bell curve to the story. I tend to start off with the Fichtian curve, which is like you start on action, and it looks more like a sawtooth. Um, so like the science of of how you're structuring the story goes together with the style, um, and and I just I, I don't know, like I like the precision of the Oxford comma; it makes my intent very clear, and I. I don't like the AP style guide so much. I don't like Chicago. Um, My favorite style guide ever has been elements of style. Um, Not partially because it's flexible. Uh, A lot of it's like EB white and, and uh, William Strunk going, yeah, generally do this, but you know, do what you feel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very Bohemian.
3: Bohemian style guide.
1: Yeah. Um, but also it's just like, it's got a lot of good just common sense and, and sort of writing for readability, mm-hmm. which is generally where I go. Um, you know, I write for stuff that like is going to be in- enjoyable to read. I want it to be readable, not, not tedious. Um, or if I'm writing, you know, you want to talk about where the writing rules go out the window. Uh, it's writing for, um, for voice. If you're writing a script mm. to be read, or, you know, dialogue to be delivered. Oh my God, is the grammar wrong? And I can't tell you how many times I've like handed off a script or something and had it come back with it, like the grammar all fixed and be like, no. (laughs) like, you're not gonna like it when I pay the actors to deliver those lines for you. (laughs) (laughs) Please trust me. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I I don't know, I I like the serial combo. I like the Oxford combo. I
2: I, I agree. Uh, You know, I, I think there are times when it is redundant, you know, and it doesn't add any precision. It doesn't hurt. There's no, it doesn't cause any damage by adding adding that extra comma there. Right. And there are a a lot of times when it definitely helps eliminate ambiguity about what the meaning is.
1: I mean, this is the same question, right? so in my house um, we have the, the friction between 12 hour time and 24 hour time. Really?
3: (laughs) Do you live with Europeans?
1: No. Um, But I love 24 hour time because it's well, you're precise. the weird one. OK, I am the weird one. And, and it's just like, you know, I get a lot of rolls, and it's like, but it's a it's precise. B, it's efficient because you never have to say 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. You know that 3 is 3 a.m. and 15 oh, is 3, my you know, 3 in the afternoon. Like, I guess you have to do a little bit of like mental translation. But it just again, it's it's precise and
3: efficient. <laughs> That's you. That is you in a nutshell. Except for I am not
1: efficient. I I enjoy precision and efficiency. I do not uh, necessarily exude it. (laughs) All
2: right. One one last one before we wind up for tonight. Uh, Continuing the pizza theme from last week. Oh, boy. What would be your perfect food delivery vehicle?
1: (sighs) For pizza or
3: for any food?
2: The question says perfect food delivery vehicle.
3: How about food (laughs) receiving vehicle? That's what I like instead.
1: <laughs> oh, you're like, just, oh, do you mean like you like to get the pizza and then drive around and eat it? That could be a challenge if it's fresh.
2: Yeah. Yeah, if it's too hot. Um, yeah. Burn the roof uh, of your mouth. Yeah, that's that's never fun. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. Food. Deli- just know, back I think- the tractor trailer. I to I'm going anyway, yeah. to go with
3: one of those little <laughs> Ford transit connect little vehicles. Yeah. Mm. Something yeah, the
2: like transit that. A, the transit connect is a good, you know, flexible, um, you know, adaptable vehicle, you know, to deliver a single pizza or to, you know, cater a whole, whole party. You know, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. You what know, was it gives the, you a lot um, of capability. What was the Domino's car? Was it the DXP? It, uh, yeah, it mm. was, um, it was a modified Chevy Sonic. Yeah. And um, they replaced the passenger side rear door. Like in the window, they took out the window and basically put in uh, a little insulated compartment and a special door on there so that the delivery drivers could open that up, stick the pizza in there. It would stay nice and warm and, you know, until they got to the delivery and then and then drop it off. Um, and they it, they still have those around, uh, you know, here in, in Ann Arbor. And Ypsilanti, the domino stores, still have those. Well,
3: I, so following on this theme that uh, Daryl or at D King Cole sent in, uh, I would be curious what everyone's pizza delivery cars are today. Like, so when the guy pulls up from my place, it's a little Kia Soul, all decorated out, all wrapped up in their pizza theme from our Curry's Pizza oh, nice. in Costco, Connecticut. Some of the best pizza I've ever had in my life. But yes, they have little Kia Souls that run around town.
1: Huh. I think the last time I had it delivered, it was a, um, uh, I want to say it was like a GMT 355 uh, trailblazer or something. I felt kind of bad for the guy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I (laughs) I tipped him a lot. I gave him a big tip. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I, I usually don't get delivery food. I usually go pick it up. So
3: yeah, I do too. It's just, everyone gets it from that, from our curries around here. So I see them buzzing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, they once delivered. It's,
2: it's usually something old and decrepit, whatever okay. it is.
3: So I just quickly, our curries once delivered pizza and a bottle of wine to a campfire at my neighbor's for us. That's awesome! Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like that was pretty fabulous. <laughs> That's excellent. That's great. <laughs> That's service. <laughs>
1: That's right. almost enough to get me to consider moving back to Connecticut.
3: Almost, we will <laughs> almost. welcome you in Greenwich. You'll fit That's... right in. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, it's about as affordable as uh, Newton.
3: Hey, the taxes <laughs> are good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we I think we have done a delightful podcast uh, with with pizza, uh, in another pizza ending.
2: So
3: <laughs> keep the questions um, coming, though, guys. Please, it's a lot of fun. Yeah,
2: we love we love it
1: yeah for sure um and so until next time uh you know where to find us and uh in the meantime we'll uh we'll we'll keep the shows coming so uh yeah reach out let us know uh, if there's any food related stuff that we can help you out with uh, and uh,
3: don't forget to rate us on wherever you find us please that will help as well all
1: All right right. so until next time
3: thanks everyone cheers